Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome to the Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app on this Friday afternoon as we've got a full studio and a great show planned for you here on this Friday afternoon. My name is Ryan LeBoy, the host of the show. I've got Brooks Childress, Brant Daughtry, and Cam Berry with me here on this Friday edition of the program. We hope everyone is doing well. We are back in studio after a week in Nashville, Tennessee, where we had a fun time at SEC Media Days 2023. We will be talking about the preseason balloting uh, in just a little bit as the picks for the order of finish in the SEC West and East was released, including first, second, and third teams through some of the position groups. So we'll get to a few of the, or through all the position groups, we'll get to a few of the position groups a little bit later today and reveal our ballots for the order of finish no, nobody in this room had Vanderbilt as the SEC's Eastern <laughs> Division champion. Uh, but uh, we uh, we will go through some of that. We'll also uh, hit on a couple topics that we yet to hit on throughout the week, including the cornerback that Auburn got, a uh, big four-star corner this past weekend that we just didn't get to because we were, uh, we were going through all of our SEC Media Days content and that sort of thing. And speaking of SEC Media Days content, we will be live today just for two hours. We will be getting off the air in the live version of Sports Call at 5 o'clock. That does not mean you have to be sad, however, as in hour number three, we will continue to broadcast some of our best interviews from the week. So kind of a best of Sports Call at SEC Media Days 2023. We're going to re-air the interviews with Chuck Oliver, with Commissioner Greg Sankey, and with the Auburn football player. So that's coming up in hour number three. So we will be live for the first two hours. If you want to get into the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Again, we got the whole crew here, everyone but Tom that was at Nashville, Ryan, Brooks, Brant, and Cam with you here on this Friday. Gentlemen, we made it safely back to the Plains. We made it before midnight. That box was checked. We only had one downpour to contend with. All in all, pretty good travel back and good to be back, but also uh, certainly going to miss the week we had in Nashville. Had a yeah. good week. Yeah, absolutely going to miss it. We survived. We we survived and we are better for it on the other side. We had a lot of fun, um, had had some great times. I think we've made some really good memories um, while while out there in Nashville, and it was a great first experience for me, man. I I, uh, I really did enjoy it. Had a great, great time, and um, you know, just can't thank uh, thank Brooke enough for giving us the chance to go and and uh, the you know just that opportunity whatsoever. I mean, I just had so much fun, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Hopefully we'll be able to do it again, man. That's all in in Dallas. Would love to do it. Yeah, Dallas in two thousand and twenty four. We certainly will. 
uh, make our best efforts to be out there next year. It's such a productive week to talk to the various personalities from the landscape of the SEC. Obviously, it starts with Commissioner Sankey and some of the personnel within the conference, also like John McDade, who we interviewed earlier this week, the SEC coordinator of officials. Of course, some of the big personalities in the college football world, not just the SEC, but someone like Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, who, again, that one will play later today. Brandon Marcello, of course, a former Auburn beat writer that now is national with 247. And then, of course, with some of the players. We've got all three Auburn players this week, and we're excited about that. And so, again, really all corners of the conference we were able to talk to at Media Days this year. Of course, we're re-airing some of those interviews here in the third hour of the program today. Again, our live coverage will be two hours today. However, if you miss any of our interviews at any point, you can go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast, which is, of course, presented by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call live or if you want to hear something, again, like one of these great interviews, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola, taste the feeling brant daughtry also with us today brant i hope the uh, drive home was just as smooth for you guys i heard that you did take the 280 way home which is decidedly better at nine and ten o'clock at night than it is at other portions of the day but uh good to see you back here sir yeah traffic wasn't too bad and like you said uh one pretty bad weather cell but i mean we got through in about five minutes and other than that it was just a straight shot and then like you said 280 it got a little sh- uh, a little strung out around Birmingham, but <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it wasn't too bad. And, you know, we made it through perfectly fine. And, uh, yeah, glad to be back. Like you said, And, again, like you said, back home before midnight, which was the goal. And uh, we, we had a great time. And uh, certainly, you know, like Ham said, we're glad we were there and, and better for having to taken part of it. Brooks Childress also on the show. Brooks, you were my compadre on the way back. Yeah. Uh, I hope I didn't ignore uh, or annoy you too much. I certainly didn't ignore you. We did chat back and forth, but hopefully it was not annoying to you and that uh, you're uh, ready to go here for one last show before you head to a Biscuits game tonight. Yeah, Brooks, I, I hope I did annoy you. I was going to say, don't worry, Ryan. Uh, your, your ride back will not be a worse of the weekend, unlike uh, <laughs> earlier this week. Um, I'm, I, I joke. Uh, no, it was good. SEC Media Days obviously was good. Um, can't wait to get to the weekend here. I know a lot of our uh, a lot of our compadres up around the media sphere, and especially Radio Roac, taking the day off today uh, as they travel back to places. We are clo- we are close enough that we get back and we're able Brian, to uh, don't stop. We're we're able to uh, <laughs> uh, we're able to get a get a live show on today and be able to uh, live react. Uh, to the SEC media poll that came out. Like you said, we all got a vote in it. Um, we were not uh, one of the few, although it, tempting. It was tempting, but uh, <laughs> was not one of the one of the people that voted for uh, for Vanderbilt to win the conference. Um, and so uh, we'll talk about that. Um, I, I feel like this is the first time this week I can mention this, but it's the Open Championship started on Thursday. We really didn't uh, really didn't dive into much outside outside of football and a touch of Braves, you know, chatter here and there, but. Um, the Open is here, and it's the, the final major of the year. I can't wait to watch that this week and get up early. And the Women's World Cup starts uh, for the U.S. Women's National Team tonight against Vietnam, and so we get to uh, enjoy that this weekend. It's a, it's a lot of stuff going on. Can't wait to talk about all of it, and I can't wait to uh, talk to our all of our great callers this afternoon as well. Yeah, a good sports weekend on tap. Hopefully that Open Championship will will live up to the billing. I know that their Brian Harmon has like a five-stroke lead right now, so hopefully that tightens up. I always root for competitive tournaments when we're 
talking majors like this. Also, another NASCAR race this weekend, I believe, at Pocono. And uh, just please don't rain. There's no more rain. We've been doing races on Mondays with delays, rain short races, just no rain on Sunday. I have no idea what the forecast is, but uh, hopefully things dry out there. Uh, Let's start today with uh, one bit of Auburn news that is not SEC Media Days related. Of course, last weekend Auburn was able to hit on another pretty high-profile recruit, landing four-star corner Jalen Crawford out of Lilburn, Georgia. Uh, Four-star recruit uh, by all but on three. On three had him as a high three-star. However, uh, as a industry ranking on three obviously pairs everything together comes out as the number 193 player was as high as 118 in the rivals so uh, pretty reliably around the top 150 ranking if you take all the the services together uh, four star corner they continue to get some of the better prospects out of Georgia really when you look at Auburn classes over the years some of their absolute best players have come out of the state of Georgia not unlike Auburn basketball of course so Georgia continues to be an important important recruiting ground for Auburn and Auburn lands a four-star corner this past weekend again out of the state of Georgia yeah a, a guy with decent size and decent athleticism but really good speed and he's, he's smart too you read the scouting reports on this guy kind of the first thing that people tend to bring up is just how smart he is. He has great play recognition, and he's he's not really just fantastic at any one thing. Now, obviously, he's he's committed to Auburn. He's pretty dead-gum good at everything, but on the scale of elite high school football recruits, he's not just excellent at any one thing, but he's able to do all things well. So that's zone coverage, man coverage. Uh, his high school puts him in the box as an extra linebacker sometimes. He's really good in run stopping and things like that. So Jalen Crawford, like you said, four-star by most, three-star by one, uh, but but certainly as the composite, a four-star, pretty good player and a guy that figures to be a contributor at Auburn pretty quickly. Yeah, another uh, Gwinnett County product uh, out of Parkview. Uh, Parkview High School and uh, yeah out there in, in Lilburn Georgia so definitely I am familiar with that area and uh, um, like you said Brian uh, Auburn has, has always been able to get go to Georgia and, and get those those pretty solid recruits um, you know Owen Papo also from Gwinnett County went to uh, Grayson High School he was a five-star so uh, plenty of talent you know in that in that area and and just in Georgia in general so uh, I'm sure Hugh Freeze is going to continue to try and go go out there and, and get as many as possible, uh, especially in, in up in the Georgia area. So we'll see. Um, but definitely excited. It seems like the corners have been somebody something of, of high interest. It seems like every other week uh, Auburn's getting a new uh, DB commit. <laughs> um, so so that 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 seems to be something that he's he's been able to continue to hit on. Um, Auburn's always had a pretty solid DB room. So now we're just going to try and continue to build it. So that is the 11th commit of the year for Auburn. Uh, when you actually look at look at it, that ranks out uh, as, or excuse me, the Jalen Crawford ranks out as the third highest ranked Auburn recruit to date by the on three industry ranking. The highest being Joseph Phillip out of Booker T. Washington. The second being Walker White out of Little Rock Christian. Of course, the big time quarterback. Uh, top 10 ranked quarterback that Auburn has coming in for 2024. Of course, life in the SEC is difficult, and it is difficult on the recruiting trail, too. The 11 commits, six four-star, five three-star 
rank Auburn 20th in the country, which is not horrific. Of course, they have work to do. They have fewer commits than really everyone around them. For example, Nebraska is 21st with 24 players, double the amount of players that Auburn has. Stanford is 22nd with 28 players, nearly three times the amount of players. So Auburn operating in some space with teams clearly having more players committed. However, that 20th place ranking right now is 11th in the Southeastern Conference. Of course, we are now taking into account because 2024, Texas and Oklahoma will enter the league. Texas and Oklahoma are both ahead of Auburn recruiting. For reference, the other 10, South Carolina just ahead at Auburn with 19, but of course they have two more players committed. Texas has 18, but they have four more players committed. Arkansas is 16th, Oklahoma 15th, LSU 14th. Then you go into the top 10 for Texas A&M, who is 9th, Tennessee, who is 7th, Alabama fourth, Florida third, having a great recruiting cycle, Billy Napier. And number one is Georgia with already 25 players, three five-stars, 16 four-stars. So that's an update on Auburn recruiting again. 20th in the country, but 11th in the SEC. However, their average is much better and still just waiting on maybe some more quantity, although obviously you want to always keep the quality up even when getting uh, that, that number up. We're going to go to our first timeout of the show today. When we come back, we'll get to birthdays of sports. Of course, you can give us a call at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free, tiger 9 to join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. And a little bit later, we're going to break down the SEC Media Day's bouting, the East and West order of finish, and some other key positions. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Call has been on the air since 1995. Now back to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brooks Childress, and Brent Dauntry with you here on this Friday afternoon. Before we go any further in today's show, let's get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in sports today, and again, three times this week, we are turning to Mr. Cam Berry to give us the birthdays in sports. That's crazy, man. (laughs) We believe in you. I I appreciate that belief, in all honesty. (laughs) Turning 43 today is Tamika Catchings, um, former, I wish I could find out what, small forward, there it is, former small forward for the Indiana Fever, selected third overall in the 2001 WNBA draft out of Tennessee. Go balls. <laughs> there Go it balls. is. <laughs> There's uh, 2012 WNBA champion, 2012 WNBA finals MVP, uh, finals MVP, 
2011 WNBA MVP, 10-time WNBA All-Star, 7-time All-WNBA First Team, 5-time All-WNBA Second Team, 5-time WNBA Defensive Player of the Year, jeez, 10-time WNBA All-Defensive First Team, 2-time WNBA All-Defensive Second Team, 8-time WNBA Steals Leader, WNBA Rookie of the Year, member of the WNBA's 10th, 15th, 20th, and 25th anniversary teams. Has her jersey number 24 retired by the Indiana Fever. She is the WNBA all-time steals leader, all-time playoff scoring leader, all-time playoffs rebounding leader, and all-time playoff steals leader. Well, that'll do it for the show today. A great show. And, uh, I wish I was done, but in 1998, she also won an NCAA champion with, uh, championship with the Tennessee Volunteers. She's also a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player and the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Tamika Ketchings. What turn. we're saying is don't take the ball in her direction on the court. Oh, man. She's, yeah. No, absolutely not. Turning also 43 today is CC Sabathia, former MLB pitcher, played for the Cleveland Indians, Milwaukee Brewers, and New York Yankees. She, uh, he is a six-time All-Star, 2009 World Series champion, won the AL Cy Young Award in 2007, 2009 ALCS MVP, and uh, two-time MLB wins leader. I was really hoping you were going to say he played for either the Padres or the Cardinals because I need that for I need an immaculate in, grid. I need an Indian for the immaculate <laughs> oh, grid. So sorry. No, man. CC was a lot of fun. That Brewer stretch. I know he was still really good for a few years with New York and obviously start with Cleveland. But that Brewer stretch for the second half of the year, like that's one of the like when when you put it in the in the dictionary, like hey, here's a middle market team going for it for one year. It's a one year rental. That's all, but we yeah. want to go for it. That's kind of one of the best ways it can work out because CC basically carried them into the playoffs that year. Yeesh. Lastly, turning 35 today is center for uh, is DeAndre Jordan. Um, he is a current NBA center for the Denver Nuggets. Um, World champ now. Yeah, he's just just recently won a championship. Selected 35th overall in the 2008 NBA draft out of Texas A&M. Go Aggies. By the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, also played for the Dallas Mavericks, New York Knicks, Denver, uh, excuse me, Brooklyn Nets, Los Angeles Lakers, Philadelphia 76ers, and now is with the Denver Nuggets. 2023 NBA champion, uh, 2017 NBA All-Star, All-NBA first team in 2016, two-time All-NBA third team, two-time NBA All-Defensive first team, two-time NBA rebounding leader at Texas A&M. He's a Big 12 All-Rookie team. Uh, in the in 2008 and in 2007, he was a third team parade All American. A lot of great accolades too for DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. That was a fun time in Clippers history. Yeah, yeah. I that think was. that time was much more fun than this time, where now there's the real expectations with their team and their guys are injured all the time. Whereas back then it was just a lot of fun to watch, and they were on the precipice of of accomplishing some of the the best things they had in their franchise's history. So I think. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, fond memories for a lot of Clippers fans. Those are the birthdays in sports today. Thank you very much, Cam. Of course. As we continue on through the show, let's start to reveal our ballots for SEC Media Days 2023 preseason ballots. Uh, roughly, or again, rough math, about 300 people voted. So if you just take first place votes, uh, I'm adding up here, around low 290s is somewhere. Uh, for, just for reference, when we read to you what the first place votes are like. And let's start in the East, where, in a way, a lot more people have talked about the East because of what happened voting-wise. But 
I think the West was a lot more tight and maybe a little bit more dramatic in at least the top. Really, all the spots were interchangeable to a degree, and I think uh, Cole Kublik was was talking about that where there was a couple tiers, but still you could make cases for a lot of different teams. We'll start in the East. 265 first-place votes to Georgia. That is absolutely no surprise. Tennessee in second with 14 first-place votes and pretty big gap between them and Georgia and them in third place, South Carolina, who had three first-place votes. This is working out naturally so far. Kentucky was fourth. They were not too far behind South Carolina for reference in total points. Georgia had 2,011. Tennessee had 1,682. South Carolina had 1,254. And Kentucky had 1,204. So we know Kentucky was pretty close to South Carolina. Pretty big gap to Florida at 911. Then Missouri at 658. Vanderbilt had 428 points, and they're in last place, but that's not why people are talking about them today. Eight first-place votes for Vanderbilt. Uh, this this is almost like in Congress when eight when certain people just vote to abstain. Like, they vote, but it's just not for or against. I know this is not an abstention here, but uh, eight people voting for Vanderbilt uh, for first place. Uh, I don't think those people actually think Vanderbilt will, will finish first, but... Uh, ultimately, Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, and Vandy. Guys, did anyone differ with this seven, or did we were we unanimous here? I, I was uh, same. I was the exact same. same. Okay. Uh, I uh, I flipped Tennessee, or excuse me, I flipped South Carolina and Kentucky. I had Kentucky at three and South Carolina okay. at four. Uh, but other than that, yeah, that's that's pretty much mine. And I, I think. I said this when we did our power rankings of the SEC a couple of days ago, or uh, sometime last week. Uh, I think there's a very clear bottom and a very clear top to the SEC, uh, and everybody in the middle, the five or six teams that are in the middle, you can put them anywhere you want because the, those teams are all pretty close. And I think that those two teams fall into that jumble. Yeah, I was the exact same as as what ended up being that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, and I was too. So, so Brant had Kentucky three, South Carolina four. Again, that was the closest margin uh, of any of the seven. Any of the relationships between the seven was between third and fourth, South Carolina and Kentucky. Again, the big deal here is that the thought process. There's just not a lot of Florida love out there this year. There's not a lot of uh, confidence in year two of Billy Napier. And that seems fair. They are getting it going on the recruiting trail. We alluded to that a few moments ago. We said they're third right now in the 2024 rankings. They're actually having a very robust uh, first three quarters of this this 2024 recruiting cycle. But Florida being fifth, I mean, look, they, they were around that last year. Anthony Richardson is gone, which, to be fair, like, you know, he, I think, was maybe valued more by the pros than he was actually productive in college. Agreed. uh, Because he certainly had his moments, and there were tantalizing moments and the potential there, all that. But did he play out as the third best quarterback in the country? Absolutely not. I I don't know if he was the third best quarterback, maybe even in that division, (laughs) to be quite frank with you. So uh, when you you compare even someone like Stetson Bennett, but of course Hendon Hooker last year and Spencer Rattler and uh, you know, obviously Levis was another disappointing one from a production standpoint at Kentucky. Uh, But you know, so you look at it and 
on one hand, man, you lose someone like Anthony Richardson, all the talent, yada, yada, yada. But, but from the college perspective, it was not as productive as an elite quarterback typically is. So Florida, uh, the point being, Florida was not a very good football team last year. They lose a top talent to the NFL. There is some space to, to be gained there where they could find someone that's more uh, productive at the college level. But nevertheless, Anthony Richardson's not nothing. So their pick's fifth. That South Carolina-Kentucky debate is interesting because Kentucky has been a fundamentally sound team. They've not like oozed with talent, but they're clearly well-coached. Clearly Mark Stoops knows what he's doing. And they add one of the best, if not the best, yeah. transfer portal quarterbacks in Devin Leary, someone who, again, on the surface, you make the same argument. You say, well, Will Levis was drafted incredibly high in the NFL draft. Scouts value him. Okay, that's great, but productivity-wise in college football, he was not one of the elite quarterbacks last year. That is something that is replaceable. And I think Devin Leary might function just clearly as a better college quarterback. Now, again, that's not going to necessarily do him good in the pros. That's not saying he will become a better pro quarterback, but at the collegiate level for what's required of you, I think Devin Leary will end up being more productive than Will Levis. Is that kind of how you saw it, Brant, with with why Kentucky or South Carolina maybe concerns over still double-digit interceptions from Rattler last year? Yeah, that, that's pretty much what it was. I, I like Spencer Rattler. I'm glad that he's kind of finding success at South Carolina after the debacle that was his time at Oklahoma. I, I'm really happy for that kid that he's found somewhere that he seems to fit in. But I, like you said, I think Devin Leary is just kind of a maybe a lower ceiling, but certainly a higher floor than a guy like Will Levis. And I think at Kentucky, like you said, they have a really good offensive line. They have for a while. They have one of the better returning running backs in Cavassier Smoke. Uh, I think Mark Stoops has proven that he's a good SEC head coach. And ten- Kentucky's got a ceiling on it. We all know that. But I do think that Kentucky with Devin Leary, I mean, they can continue on the path to eight, nine wins a season, which for Kentucky is way better than they've ever done. In the month of August, we as a show, we're going to break down. We're going to have a day. We might combine Vanderbilt and Missouri, to be quite frankly, uh, Frank, <laughs> Frank in one day. But easy. every other team's going to have a full day uh, where we're going to break down what happened last year, the expectations for each team, the coaching situation, some of the top players and that sort of thing. When you look at South Carolina, it's tantalizing because of the momentum built paired with the marketability that Shane Beamer brings to the table. But maybe substance-wise, there might be a little bit more there with Kentucky with some returning starters and that sort of thing. So that is a interesting debate for sure. Tennessee in second. Look, I, I think that while Tennessee might not be as good next year or this year uh, post-Hendon Hooker, a, I think Joe Milton's ceiling still dictates that they can return to that same level. We'll see if he, he reaches that ceiling. But then also, I just don't – I think Tennessee was so explosive last year, and I still have enough questions with the rest of the East that I'm not too worried about some unbelievable – return to Butch Jones year or return to Jeremy Pruitt year where they just end up going six and six and seven and five and and have a, a calamity of errors. I, I think that they will end up even if they are not overly impressive, you know, I look the the Alabama bit part of it's always gonna be tough for them to have to, to play Bama and you know going in Tuscaloosa this year, unless Joe Milton is incredible, that's Him. just going to be an incredible uphill climb. But um you know, I, I still think that there is enough of a gap earned from uh, Tennessee's level to the South Carolina-Kentucky level. Again, though, 
I think everyone's clearly looking up at Georgia, and Georgia by far got the most first-place votes in the SEC. We're going to take our first timeout of our number one, or second timeout here of our number one. When we come back, we're going to go through the SEC Western Division. A lot of conversations here. I think that, again, we're going to be pretty similar on how we voted, and at the very least, uh, how the, the sports writers, how the beat writers voted was very similar to what we anticipated. We'll talk about that and more next. Have your attention, please. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is. What? My name is. My name is. Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Friday afternoon. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brant Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here on a, a very sunny Friday afternoon so far. As uh, we're starting to break down the SEC preseason balloting, uh, the SEC preseason awards, all that good stuff, we all had the opportunity to vote for them uh, in in Nashville, we always appreciate the opportunity from the league to be able to do that. We just broke down the Eastern Division voting, which saw Georgia a uh, close to unanimous number one, 265 first-place votes, Tennessee second, South Carolina three, Kentucky four, Florida five, Missouri six, and Vandy seven. Let's go and talk a little bit about the Western Division now. It was, as predicted, a very close battle for first between Alabama and LSU, a battle which in the preseason Alabama wins with members of the media. They had 165 first-place votes. LSU had 117. The difference there, 1899 in terms of points to 1838 for LSU. A wide chasm between LSU and Texas A&M. A&M was picked third, just barely over Ole Miss. 1,144 points with one first-place vote uh, vote to Ole Miss, who was 1,128 points with no first-place votes. Arkansas was fifth with three first-place votes, 958 points. Auburn was four. Uh, or excuse me, Auburn was six with four first place votes, 685 points, and then one first place vote for Mississippi State, who was seventh with 496 points. Gentlemen, I would like to uh, show you too. There were eight first place votes for Vanderbilt, and there are eight combined first place votes for Arkansas, Auburn, and Mississippi State. That is just throwing that out there uh, for symmetry purposes. Yeah, the, the Vanderbilt thing, very clearly a joke, right? Yeah. Like, no one seriously thinks yeah, that Vanderbilt's very, going to yeah. win the SEC East. I don't know. We were in the Nashville. the SEC at all. We were in Nashville. We were in Nashville, and maybe you've got some people being homers, but I, I that feels more like a joke to me than anything. Yeah, this one, 
I don't know. I feel like there's a lot more room to maneuver in the West. Like I feel like Georgia is obviously the strongest team in the East, but you come to the West and Alabama obviously is going to be good as long as Nick Saban is there and probably a little bit after he leaves. LSU won it last year and they returned just about everybody. A&M is a super talented roster with a head coach that has proven he can win uh, and an offensive coordinator who has proven he can win. But both of those guys have also proven they can go horribly, horribly yeah, wrong. Yeah, can be very good. Well, go very south. So I, I don't. I think there's really an argument for just about every team in the West to finish above or below where they where they were in the predicted order of finish. My ballot, uh, I, I put LSU to win. I, I think LSU has a chance at it, and I, I flip flopped really back and forth between Alabama and LSU. And, and while I do think that Alabama may win that head to head matchup. With it being in Tuscaloosa, I also think it's possible that Alabama loses more conference games overall and LSU ends up winning the West. So that that could be how that thing shakes out. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think this, I think the West is going to be really interesting to watch this year. I think there's – I mean, you have some really volatile teams. Can LSU repeat? Who's going to be quarterback for Alabama? How bad or how good can Texas A&M be? What is Auburn like in the first year of Hugh Freeze? Uh, is uh, is um, Arkansas is Arkansas's head coach on the hot seat? Sam Pittman uh, is he on the hot seat? Um, it, what happens there? There's just so many interesting storylines in the West this year, and uh, yeah, I, I'm it's it's all it's the best division in all of college football, and every team is so close that even the bad teams figure to have a shot to be pretty good at sometimes. Yeah. Brooks, uh, uh, Brooks, go ahead and give you uh, give us the. Uh, one through seven that you had uh, the exact same that the SEC okay. as a whole had. <laughs> okay, that's that was my top seven. I had Alabama, LSU, uh, A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, Mississippi State. Kim, what about you? I, so just oh, okay, it, I'm sorry. I was not the one that voted for Mississippi State to win the West. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, I actually had LSU winning the, the West. Uh, I had L, I have LSU, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Ole Miss, Texas A and M, and Mississippi State. So you had Auburn four. Yeah, I just with Texas A and M, I just, I just, I don't believe in Jimbo Fisher, man. I just don't. I, I don't. I don't know what. It, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on it, but I just, I don't think he's, you know, that great of a head coach. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think – I think his hot seat is just going to get hotter, you know, and maybe it'll end up on fire by the end of this season. Um, and then um, I th- I have some belief in Sam Pittman and, and K.J. Uh, Jefferson. I think they can be pretty decent third in the West. I, I, I don't see why not. They were pretty close uh, to – they had some pretty rough losses in the in the season last year that they, that they – uh, that maybe they'll be able to finish out this year. Obviously, their biggest emphasis is are they going to be able to stop anybody? Um, but the, the offense is obviously going to be pretty de- de- decent. And then with Auburn, I put them you know, finishing in the middle of the pack. Um, it, it really could have been a toss-up. I, I was – I was debating putting Ole Miss at four as well. I, I really – it could have been either or. Um, I really think they could both end up – you know, finishing with the same record. And then I think Auburn ends up having the tiebreaker. So that kind of is how I think I factor that in because they'll be in Jordan Hare Stadium. Uh, so I, I think that Auburn will end up winning that game. Um, and then obviously, you know, my, my things with Mississippi State, just I, I just think they'll struggle this year. Ole Miss and Auburn is going to be such a fascinating yeah. one. Look, it, it's it's somewhat organic already because of the interest in Lane Kiffin, the prior coaching stop for Hugh Freeze there. Uh, but also, let's dig even deeper. Auburn's got the host Georgia at Vandy. 
Ole Miss has the host Vandy at Georgia. So Ole Miss has the exact two uh, East crossover teams there. So they one that they're not going to feel good about at all and one that they're going to feel great about. So you can't discern a difference there. Uh, what Ole Miss does in terms of schedule this year, you know, they're at Alabama to Auburn's host. They host LSU where Auburn goes on the road. You know, those are tough teams no matter where you play them. Ole Miss does host Arkansas. They host Texas A&M where Auburn uh, flip-flops with those. Ole Miss is at Mississippi State for the Egg Bowl. That game might be, or that game will be, more difficult for Ole Miss than it will be for Auburn because it is a rivalry. It is at Mississippi State uh, and all those things. So it is very even. I mean, it really is. The The difference is, is Ole Miss, is Ole Miss just a better football team this year? That, that, that would be what you would look at. Do they go ahead and beat Texas A&M? At home, do they go ahead and pull an upset on LSU at home? Now that Ole Miss game, that LSU game for Ole Miss last year, was where their equation started to change. So that was when I think it was Chris Gordy that talked a little bit about that earlier in the week. Ole Miss had been undefeated at that point. They were number seven in the country when they went to LSU. They got out to a lead. They ultimately lost forty-five to twenty in that game. They rebounded the next week to A and M but then go on the string of losses to Bama, Arkansas, Mississippi State. So that LSU team played them very well year one under Brian Kelly. And that's what I would worry about if I was an Ole Miss fan with Lane Kiffin. As much as I love Lane Kiffin, I think there's a lot of love for Lane Kiffin and enjoying the personality that he is and the offensive concepts that he he has. It seems like certain programs where coaches can, can at least figure him out. Auburn, for whatever reason, the two years with Brian Harson. Now, was it a Brian Harson thing or an Auburn thing? We'll see this year. But for whatever reason, Auburn played Ole Miss incredibly well twice in a row, despite the fact that Ole Miss was a better overall football team. In 2021, Auburn straight up beat them 31-20. to And then, of course, last year, that was one of Auburn's more respectable uh, games in the first half of the year when Auburn lost 48 to 34, they were able to hang a, a good portion of points on the board. So Auburn played Ole Miss pretty well these last two years. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess going back to 2020, uh, which I mean Lane Kiffin was at Ole Miss there. So if you want to be fair and talk 2020 against Gus Malzahn, Auburn won that game, uh, 35 to 28. So Kiffin's only one and two against Auburn, and the win was a situation where at that time Ole Miss was playing way better football. Uh, than Auburn was I say all that to say I'm just not sure that Auburn is going to be there this year I think Auburn will pass Ole Miss at some point with Hugh Freeze I think the quality of player uh, will eventually elevate there's just so many unknowns for me to be confidently in the camp that Auburn is going to figure it out from the word go uh, Auburn will have a, obviously, as we know, will have a very tough stretch once they get through those first three non-conference games. Auburn, after they do that, the next three games at Texas A&M, host Georgia, bye week at LSU. If they don't win that A&M game, they are likely 3-3 three and three, uh, right after you know a feel-good start to the year, assuming all three of the first games go well. So they're 3-3, three and three, and it's a moment of truth when they then play Mississippi, play Ole Miss, after Ole Miss's bye week. Uh, after that LSU game for Auburn, so they're going to they, if they lose to A and M, there's a good chance they're three and three, and that Ole Miss game will be pretty significant 
uh, in, in determining if Auburn's going to get hot. Because if Auburn gets hot, if they win that game, I love them against Mississippi State. I love them against Vandy. If they're hot, I like their chances at Arkansas. Auburn's never been overly intimidated to play at Arkansas. Then you host New Mexico State before you have Bama. Auburn has a real potential uh, if they can start with a win against Ole Miss to start running them up there if they've learned from the first half of the season. But that is why you know that that stretch becomes so important that Ole Miss game might pivot their season in some ways, uh, depending on how the AM game goes and, and that sort of thing. I ultimately had the the same order, or excuse me, the same place for Auburn. I did not ha- have the same order. I had Ole Miss third. I had Arkansas fourth, AM fifth. Auburn six, Mississippi State seventh. The A and M part for me is just so hard to predict. There is, if you wanted to take the stance that A and M is going to figure it out, that they're going to win nine or ten games, I totally believe you. The talents there, Jimbo Fisher is not a nothing burger for his entire career. He did win a title. He did repeat it by going to the Final Four with with Winston the next year, and they had ten win seasons at Florida State. They had a nine and one season in the, in the COVID shortened year in twenty twenty. Like it's not impossible for this to happen. The problem is, is that of the last five or six seasons, the reality has been eight wins for them, with the occasional whoops. The last year at Florida. State was a big whoops. Last year was a big whoops. And so there have been a lot more whoops moments recently than successes. And so if you wanted to pitch to me that they're going to go five and seven or six and six, I can certainly buy uh, that too. Now, they have a ton of returning players. We talked a lot about, as did the national media, about all the recruits off of that class from the other year that they lost. Well, the reality was those were not a lot of the guys playing. Uh, They were unhappy that the team was not very good. They were unhappy that they did not play for a team that had been disappointing. In reality, they returned 10 starters on both sides of the ball. Now, again, you always go into, do you trust Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino and company to develop those starters? Or do you say, well, those are not cutting it in the Southeastern Conference. You needed new ones. Now, again, that's why you can take a firm stance on either side. And I lean towards the doubt side just because of the way it is trended overall for Texas A&M with just the the true outlier is the nine and one year. The other years, eight and five, nine and four, five and seven, that's all more on the disappointing side for how A&M's been trying to bat the last few years. Um, so that's why I had A&M five. The Mississippi State part two, again, the, Mississippi State is not Vanderbilt. Mississippi State has something real in Will Rogers. Will Rogers is going to be voted uh, very highly when we talk about the quarterback uh, section. Uh, he's in there with some of those other top guys in the SEC. Uh, we just have no idea to what Zach Arnett's going to bring. We have no idea uh, how it's going to function. We know they're not going to throw quite as much. No one did uh, throw more than than the late Mike Leach. But even they are not the the sib that that Vanderbilt should, in theory, be. Uh, but I still think that Auburn at home against Mississippi State should not have a a huge problem there. Uh, just don't blow a what twenty eight to three right. lead. Was it the twenty eight three lead? Yes. Uh, don't blow that kind of Those lead. Um, forever on me. <laughs> so, uh, any final thoughts? Again, I got a couple minutes left in this segment before we hit our end of hour break. Anything that interests you out of that West or or trying to t- discern the packing order in that middle of the West? I don't think I ever listed my West one through seven. Read yours again, Ryan. Yeah, I had uh, Alabama, 
top of just barely over LSU. Then I had Ole Miss, Arkansas, A&M, Auburn, Mississippi State. Yeah, if, uh, yours and I, yours and mine are pretty similar. Flip LSU and Alabama and uh, Auburn and Texas A&M. I put Auburn fifth. But, yeah, you and I kind of, I feel like, are in the same thing. And I, th- I really like the way you outlined it. That Ole Miss game kind of lines up as if Auburn can win that, yeah. you're looking at a successful season. If they can't, you're looking at – well, maybe next year. Uh, that just kind of seems to be the way that, with with the way the schedule sets up, I think it's very likely that you start out three and zero, and I think it's very likely that you get halfway through the season at three and three, and then you have that seventh game with Ole Miss, and that's that's where things get interesting. Yeah, some of this stuff just gets broken up by the tiebreaker type of thing, like the A and M game. If Auburn can go win it and they're four and two right, going absolutely. Ole Miss, and that sort of thing, then Auburn's absolutely finishing above A and M. For A&M's side of the equation, their East teams are pretty difficult. I mean, it, it's not Georgia, but it's the next worst thing. It is at Tennessee just before the bye week and then that's host tough. South Carolina, oh, who they yeah. always play. So that's not like, oh, yeah, I'm giving A&M that one. No, those are going to be two that they're going to have to work for. Um, you know, it, it maybe South Carolina by that point in the year, that's like game eight, maybe South Carolina's – uh, bubble has burst, or or maybe South Carolina is starting to feel themselves and be, be real. I don't know, but but A uh, and M, you know, the the rest of it, they host Alabama. That game is difficult, no matter where it is. Uh, they they are at Ole Miss, which is not the preferable side of that. Uh, they host Mississippi State. Great, I would I would favor A and M anywhere. And then they're at LSU at the end, which makes that very difficult. It's a tough road for A and M. It is one of the the tougher sides of the schedule in the SEC. Of course, that's not to say any of them are easy. Uh, but but again, A and M does have some things there that are clearly difficult. So certainly, if it starts to go bad for A and M, it could go really bad for A and M. And then we'll start looking about looking at that buyout money again. Uh, for Jimbo Fisher and how massive that sort of thing is. We are out of time for hour number one. When we come back in hour number two, we'll break down some of the individual first, second, and third team guys with the SEC preseason balloting. Again, if you want to give us a call, 334-887-341 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. And we'll be right back with Sports Call after this timeout. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Cam Berry, and Brent Dontry with you here on this Friday afternoon. 
live from our studios on South College Street. Had a great and successful four days in Nashville, Tennessee for SEC Media Days 2023. This will be our final live hour of the program for the day and for the week. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we will still have content for you. We'll have kind of a best of our interviews from this week in 2023 SEC Media Days. You'll hear from Chuck Oliver to begin the hour. Then you'll have three or the three Auburn players, Elijah McAllister, Luke Deal, and Cam Stutz, who uh, were, were in Nashville representing Auburn. And then to close things out, you'll hear the interview uh, from the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey, that we had a little bit earlier this week. So, again, this will be our final live hour of the show for the week. Uh, coming up a little bit later, I want to watch for over the weekend. Let's continue on, though, with the voting results of 2023 SEC Media Days and the all preseason teams. Just ran through the both sides of the division. Also, to uh, clear things up, to Georgia was voted – uh, the the champion of the of the league yeah. uh, as 181 total championship points, 62 for Alabama, 31 for LSU, five for both Tennessee schools. That is Tennessee and Vandy. <laughs> two for Arkansas, two for Auburn, one for A and M, one for State uh, Mississippi State, one for South Carolina. But again, Georgia pretty emphatically over Alabama, and then over LSU. Let's look at preseason All SEC quarterbacks now. Uh, we only vote for taking inside baseball. We only voted for two quarterbacks. In a lot of these positions, we only voted for first and second teams. However, the league puts out a first and second and third team out there. So it, it, they still aggregate the points and that sort of thing. But nearly 300 media members voting. So uh, they have plenty of suggestions, plenty of, of results tallied in to be able to come up with three teams without us putting three teams on there. So we're only going to have two selections. If you guys want to do, we can yeah. theorize who we would have put for a third team. Yeah. But let's uh, let's go ahead and go through the quarterbacks here. Ultimately, the SEC media members vote for Jaden Daniels to be the first team quarterback. The second team quarterback, K.J. Jefferson of Arkansas, and there was a convenient tie on the third team for quarterback shared by Joe Milton of Tennessee and Will Rogers of Mississippi State. How did you guys see it? And, again, we only officially voted for two, but you can go ahead and give a third if you'd like as well. Yeah, so I had uh, Jaden Daniels as my as my first-team quarterback, um, and then I actually had Joe Milton as my second-team quarterback. Okay. Um, and then I want to say I had K.J. Jeff- Jefferson as my third. I, I, I you know, because I think they had us vote for – No, they only had us vote for They only had us vote for two. I don't yeah. know. Really. Again, I've, so I then, have yeah, the I would have. So I, I would have. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I would have had KJ Jefferson as my third quarterback then. Okay, so that would a little flip there of Milton on second team, but still yeah. nothing, nothing too different, Brant. Yeah, I also had Jaden Daniels as my first team quarterback. I think he's, like I said, I, I predicted them to win the West again, uh, and he's a big reason. I will admit, when he transferred to LSU out of Arizona State, yes, uh, I, I didn't have that high expectations for him. He came in in his first year in the SEC, and he proved me wrong. I think he's a really capable quarterback. My second team, my second team quarterback was Will Rogers. Uh, I think that what he did at uh, Mississippi State over these past few years has been super impressive. I know they're running the air raid, and that's you know, that's essentially garbage time in, in in basketball stats. Like being an air raid quarterback, you're going to throw for 10 million yards. But uh, I, I really like what Will Rogers has done. I like the air raid offense and the way that he's handled it. 
Um, and the way that, you know, I just like him as a player. And it, a lot of it is that I also don't believe too much in K.J. Jefferson. Uh, Sam Pittman said this year that a lot of what he's done, uh, a lot of why he's been so good is because he's so big and strong when he's running. He's so hard to tackle. Uh, with Dan Enos coming in to be their new offensive coordinator, they're not going to run him as much. It's going to be a lot more pro-style stuff. They're going to make him throw from the pocket, and I'm wondering if he can keep up that level of production when he is not relying on his legs quite as much. So I, I, I put Will Rogers at second. I had – let me pull mine back up. I also had Jaden Daniels at first. Shocked to nobody. Um, there were times last year he got out playing on the football field and, and he was you know not the best quarterback on the field. But I think an offseason into the offense, I think uh, you know building into this, this LSU style and you, you're having the confidence coming off of last year that he's going to take a, a big step forward and be that top quarterback in the SEC. Plus, you know, there's a big hole at the top is, is you no longer have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback there. Uh, at the top of it and you don't have Hendon Hooker there at the top of the the conference and so there's a hole and I think Jaden Daniels can can very much fill it KJ Jefferson was my number two um, I think uh, just because he's the most experienced quarterback in the league, I, I, he's going to have some uh, some growing in the, the new offense with uh, with Dan Enos over there at Arkansas. But it, I think that he's going to be able to handle it. I, I think that his seniority in, in the Southeastern Conference is going to pay dividends this year. And then my third team quarterback would have been Joe Milton because I, you saw his, him last year. Uh, he he's a very good quarterback. Um, he went filling in for Hendon Hooker, and now he's going to be the starter there. And and the the question, the only reason I wouldn't have put him as a as a top two quarterback is I want to see how he does as the guy. You know, he, he's he's got the talent there, but sometimes you may have the talent, but you you can't step into the guy role. I want to make sure that Joe Milton can step into the guy role, and he, he very could end the year as a top two quarterback in the Southeastern Conference. But um, I'm I'm a little hesitant to put him put him there right at the start of it when I haven't seen him as that man. Yeah, you know. Look, I'll be honest with you. I was influenced by some of the guests that we had on the program throughout the week. I planned on coming into the week voting Jane Daniels' first team. So what you're saying is peer pressure works. No, I'm saying <laughs> that you sometimes receive more information and make a better decision. Uh, Jaden Daniels is, I think, clearly first-team guy for just about everybody. Uh, he is going to be a early Heisman candidate. We'll see if the year plays out that way for him, but he will be – at least on the betting boards. The second team I was going to vote K.J. Jefferson. Again, that's what ultimately the league voted on. But what really struck me, again, was the Dan Enos pit. And that's something that was talked about a little bit by Sam Pittman in his own press conference, but then also by Brandon Marcello when we had him on the show. Look, Dan Enos is not a speeded-up, throw-it-around-the-yard type of guy. He was the offensive coordinator in Arkansas in 2015 through 17 which was when Brett Bielema was at Arkansas, and you know the stance on offense that Brett Bielema has. So Big Ten. Uh, I don't love that for the production value that K.J. Jefferson is going to have this year, particularly as a runner. Now, I still think he's a perfectly capable passer. You look at the numbers last year with no inherent number one wide receiver. Jefferson was a 68% passer, 24 TDs to five interceptions. So I think that clearly it is out there for him to – make those plays with his arm I, I don't I don't want to go the other way and say look this guy's not a thrower because he absolutely can be but also you add over 600 rushing yards and nine touchdowns that's clearly an important part of what he does if he's not going to do it you know he's going to have to make up for it in the passing game even more so so I went second team Will Rogers uh, Will Rogers 
the experience he's had in the league, you know the production's going to be there. I still think no matter what they do, pass the run ratio, pass is still going to favor the rush. There's still going to be a lot of opportunities for him. There should be. It'll be interesting to see because Air Raid is such a quick get it out of your your hand type of offense. It'd be interesting to see if he throws the ball down the field more this year. I know like when you hear Air Raid, you think, oh, well, surely you're going to raid the air and go down the field. Well, again, you watch how it actually plays out. They're really just trying to find five and seven yard plays. It's it's like it's like a higher version of running. It's it's just a, a more complicated version. They're they're trying to get five to seven yards, not the 12, 15, 20 yard chunks that teams often do when they pass. But I still think Rodgers uh, will be incredibly impactful. He knows this league. He's had productive games against just about everybody. And I just, I feel like I know what I have in Will Rogers. That's why I voted him second team. If I had had a third team vote, I would have stressed immensely. Uh, <laughs> I already stressed a little bit over second team once I realized I may not be voting KJ Jefferson. I would still consider KJ Jefferson, of course. For third team, I would consider the the tantalizing potential of Joe Milton. I would also give at least a consideration to someone like Spencer Rattler or even Devin Leary. I mean, there's some some solid quarterbacks to consider here. It's not going to be unheard of if Spencer Rattler ends up being the second or third best quarterback in this league this year. I don't think anyone's going to be flabbergasted by that, although he's clearly not been voted as one of the top four guys here. Uh, and then even Devin Leary, again, production-wise, can, is Kentucky just offensively poor because of their coaching staff and their style? Or does Devin Leary uh, provide real production after he provided real production for NC State? That's going to be interesting to me. But I guess third team-wise, after going Daniels and Rodgers, I probably would have still just landed on K.J. Jefferson because that's who I had coming into the process. But uh, certainly the style of offense does not seem to be the best fit for K.J. Jefferson this year at Arkansas. Of course, interesting uh, to note, no Alabama or Georgia quarterbacks. That tells you when you couple where they are picked in the league, which is first in the East, first in the West, to play in the title game as the two biggest favorites, uh, how good the rest of their teams are going to be. Uh, especially if they were able to find a quarterback that ends up being a top half or top five quarterback in the league. That has not been a problem for Alabama for several years now. They they went through a, a, a role there. Even someone like McCarron was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It was just done out of a different style than what has been done um, the last five, six, seven years once Kiffin got there and beyond. Uh, Georgia at no point has really had incredible quarterback success. Obviously, Stetson Bennett ended up <laughs> – even though saying this out loud still is funny to me, he went to the Heisman ceremony as a Heisman finalist. I, I never yeah. felt that way about him, never. but he certainly produced and, and certainly did not get in anyone's way and, and to some degree uh, elevated what they did offensively. So they have something to replace there, but again, I'm not sure that it's something irreplaceable. And so those teams would only be icing on the cake if they actually get elite top three level uh, team quarterback play out of either one uh, and then obviously with Auburn situation uh, looking for probably Peyton Thorne to start Ole Miss's situation here's the funny thing about Ole Miss's situation I kind of still value Jackson Dart on some level and I kind of yeah. still value Spencer Sanders <laughs> on some level like if you if you told me at the end of the year the starting quarterback at Ole Miss whoever he may be ends up third team all SEC I wouldn't even like I, I would be like okay that's cool 
must have had a really good year. Pick the right guy. Good for them. I mean, like, they're going to put up numbers, whoever it is. Can they stop turning the ball over and make the key plays? That would be one thing. But, guys, when I talk this out, we we go into this offseason kind of thinking, uh, you know, quarterbacks in the league, not a lot of known commodities. And that's still true. There's not necessarily a ton of known commodities. But when you talk this out, there's actually some very appealing choices. And if things go the right way in a lot of these different situations, the quarterback play in the league could end up being quite good. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it there. Ole Miss, uh, Lane Kiffin's got a track record with quarterbacks. They usually perform pretty well. That is usually one of the positions that he's known as a whisperer of. And I think that's an overused term, but... Yeah, and then you've got, like I said, Will Rogers, a guy who's thrown for 4,000 yards two seasons in a row, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, Joe Milton is tantalizing for the reasons we've touched on. K.J. Jefferson, while you and I kind of have our questions about whether or not he'll be able to be as effective, um, you know, he's still shown that he can do it, so maybe he can still do it even in a different style of offense. And then, I mean, you can even look at Auburn this year. Peyton Thorne has shown that he he was the quarterback on a team that won one of the best conferences in all of college football, one of the best divisions in all of college football. So he's shown that he can be on a championship-winning team uh, when he's got the right pieces around him. So while there's not the, – I feel like the guys that are being voted on here are the ones that are just returning starters because it's certainly tr- possible that whoever starts at Alabama or whoever starts at Georgia – or whoever starts at Auburn, while they are not known commodities, they maybe their ceiling's higher? I don't know. There's a lot of questions to be asked to the quarterback position uh, from the teams that don't have an incumbent starter. It would actually be easier, guys, to talk about teams that don't have a yeah. very good positive outlook. Like, sorry, Vanderbilt. There's just not many positive outlooks on the it team. It always comes back to Vanderbilt right. when you're talking about negatives. Really yeah, M- Missouri with Brady Cook. You know, I'm not... I'm not too interested in that, to be honest with you. Again, I think Missouri, outside of the Vanderbilt landscape, is Sam Horn the least at, interesting at Missouri. team. G-Co product, Collins Hill product, Sam uh, Horn. Well, well, maybe if things <laughs> happen to Brady Cook. But, uh, so Missouri's situation, not incredibly positive. Florida's situation, maybe not incredibly positive. That's one of the reasons they're ranked towards the bottom. But I don't know. Is there anybody else? I mean, that that's – Pretty much those three East teams, yeah. Florida, Missouri, Vandy. Because, yeah, again, we've talked about the West element. If Auburn will have, going into the season, one of the bottom half quarterbacks in the, in the league. Peyton Thorne is still a guy that won double-digit games at Michigan State, had 65% completion percentage, double-digit touchdowns, this, that, and the other thing. Like, he's had college football success, and that will still be viewed probably as one of the, the lower half uh, quarterback situations in the league. So, Again, we've kind of gone through the offseason, or at least I have, thinking, oh, you know, there's going to be space to grow in the SEC's quarterback room, and and there's a lot of unknowns. And there is, but I think there are a lot more positive unknowns than maybe some other positions or some other conferences and that sort of thing. The moral of the story is I still take the SEC's grouping of quarterbacks over just about any other conference, even though a lot of them are not known commodities. Usually this league excuse me, produces – a lot of fun quarterbacks, and I think there's clearly a pathway to that this year. And I'll tell you what, you know, you, you, t- looking at the the league quarterbacks, um, uh, you know, you mentioned you don't know, you know, we, we're not thinking about Florida a lot. They've got Graham Mertz yeah, transferred Mertz. in from yeah, from, from Wisconsin, who played, who passed for over five thousand uh, four hundred yards in his time at Wisconsin, which is not a passing team, and threw thirty eight touchdowns. He did throw twenty six interceptions. Yeah, that number. 
that that, that know, makes you squirm, squirm a yeah. little bit. But uh, he's he's still a, a doable quarterback down there, depending on how how they use him. Um, there's there's so many good quarterbacks in this or usable quarterbacks in this league. I'm not going to say so many quarterbacks good with real potential. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got potential. It, it's like you know, Brant. Uh, you keep describing the middle of each division as you can move these guys around. That that's basically every single quarterback in here. You can yeah. you can see you can make an argument for almost any quarterback being a top five quarterback in the league or a bottom five quarterback in the league. It, it there's so many so many variables. Uh, uh, in the quarterback position this year, unlike a lot of other years, there's 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 Jane Daniels who is, uh, clearly the the conference media uh, sees as the number one. But he, like I said in my and when I was breaking down my two, he got outplayed a couple times last year. There was there was a couple. Times, I think Brandon Marcello even pointed it out. He got outplayed by or no, it was uh, Jason Caldwell pointed it out earlier in the week. He got outplayed by Robbie Ashford a little bit in yeah. that Auburn LSU game. And I don't think the the conference is really. Uh, you know, banging down the doors for Robbie Ashford to be a better quarterback than Jaden Daniels right now. It, it, there's so much dynamics in, in quarterback position this year. Uh, and really, I think you could, uh, when you get the final stands in the end of the year, the quarterback position is going to tell a big story of how this, this conference finishes. We're going to go tank our next time out of the show. We're also going to say goodbye to Cam Barry for the day and for the week. He's got to <laughs> head out a little bit early. Cam, we'll see you next week, man. Appreciate all your all your hard work. Excuse me. Easy for me to say. <laughs> all of your hard work uh, in Nashville this week. And, uh, again, have a great weekend, man. Absolutely. Glad to be a part of it. You boys have a great weekend. Appreciate it. That is Cam Barry uh, taking off here on this Friday as uh, we take off to our next time out. Back with more Sports Call right after this. To join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. This is Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childress here to thank you the rest of the way on this Friday. Again, a reminder that coming up at 5 o'clock, we will be discontinuing our live version of the show at 5 o'clock, give you the opportunity in the 5 o'clock hour to hear a best of the week of Sports Call from SEC Media Days 2023. Going to have Chuck Oliver uh, have that interview at the first part of the 5 o'clock hour. You'll, you'll hear from our three Auburn players that we were able to interview again and from the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, in the 5 o'clock hour. So our live coverage again will wrap up here in about in half an hour. Let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today. 334-887-34 when locally or toll free. one 888 First up on the show today. Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing this afternoon? boy. Say that one more time, Steve. I'm sorry. Good afternoon, Mr. Ryan LaVoy. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Your your mission, if you choose to accept it, will be for you and your team to accomplish at least one win of the Thunder Chickens 
team for this season. However, in the event that you and your team do not accomplish and fail at this mission, the management at Sports Call Auburn will disavow any existence of you and your team's <laughs> existence. <laughs> well, that's some pressure, but uh, we're, we're going to try. They had another close game on Tuesday night, uh, and uh, so we're, we're knocking on the door. We're going to accept that mission. Okay, all right. Uh, as you know, uh, maybe you don't know, the reason I didn't call in yesterday is my daughter and I went and saw Mr. Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. How was it? It's a 10, at least a 10. Awesome. Uh, good to hear that. I'm looking for. I'm going to watch it probably next week at some point. Yeah, you will not fall asleep on this sh- uh, show at all. No way. Yeah, I don't plan on it. Okay. All right, moving on, guys. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, the people that you talked with, the conversations. Have you guys, did you have a better time this year than last year? Uh, that's a good question. I think in some ways we did. I think the operation was so smooth. Uh, everything was well put together. The logistics of everything, the events and that sort of thing were, were great. And it was a very smooth experience. We got felt, fed well, which he- always helps too, uh, and uh, good food and all that stuff. So we really did have a great time. Yeah, I was concerned about uh, children. Did you go on an eating binge? Uh, in, in short, yes. <laughs> When, when they rolled that snack cart out there in the middle of the afternoon, I think I got one of everything, at least throughout the week. Well, I hope you didn't uh, result in any purging after that. <laughs> well, almost he was almost the Noah's Ark of the snack table. <laughs> one, one, two, well, I know Noah did two of everything, but Brooks did uh, one of everything. Holy crap. Well, did anyone take any uh, uh, damaging photos of this? Uh, technically, yes. Uh, technically, oh, yeah. there were photos of a table, Sports Call Auburn's table, which had many a snack on it. So can I see them on your Facebook page? Uh, actually, I believe yes. I think we put one or two of them out there that have, uh, or if if not yet, we will be putting out uh, a post on it uh, okay. because we're putting off to our various social media. So we're going to have we're going to have a picture of some of our various guests throughout the week, and a couple of those guests got to witness us have a bunch, a bunch of snacks on the table at that time. Well, good here. I'll check it out. Uh, I didn't have not had a chance to solve the podcast. Did you by chance uh, have a run in or talk with Mr. Paul Slimebaum? Uh, no, we, uh, he he passed by the table a few times. The uh, SEC network personalities are only made available for a certain amount of time, and uh, you basically get on a wait list, and they try to evenly distribute it so they give certain people to certain radio shows. So that's why each show, you know, each table basically gets three or four. Uh, throughout the week, maybe five, and so I think we we totaled four, and so it's we 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 obviously put our name on all of the lists, but uh, it didn't work out for Paul in particular. Oh well, no great loss there. But I thought since you were the the flagship, you know, for the AU Network uh, station, uh, that you had contractual obligations from people to talk with you. There's, I guess I'm wrong on that. Uh, well, so actually, Steve, you know, at this uh, moment, we are now officially no longer the, the flagship of the Auburn Sports Network. So uh, that that is uh, that failed to become the case here this summer. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's why that perk was not available. Oh, oh I, I didn't know that. So we used then no longer be carrying the football games. That would be correct. Oh, OK. Uh, how do I find out who will just go online? Uh, yeah, there's there's some articles written about it and, and that sort of thing. and uh, Yeah, but it is no longer us. Well, I hate to hear that. Um, you can still able to call yourself Auburn Sports Call, though, right? Absolutely. That that does not have an affiliation with uh, the Auburn Sports Network. Okay. All right. Well, moving on, guys. Speaking of Mr. Uh, 
Oh, sorry, Bob, I called him. Uh, I saw a little video clip about 10 minutes long, and it had some other ACC people on there, and they were talking about the, uh, the SEC media days. And then a topic came up called, uh, the question I want to ask you guys that they asked each other on the show, uh, is college football top-heavy? Okay. Yeah. And uh, they said that it was, and then they talked about the upcoming, uh, uh, not of course, but next season going to 12 team, and the sarcastic remark made by you know, another than Paul Feinbaum was that uh, even though it will be 12 teams, referring to the top heavy, uh, it will only mean there will be some more losers to watch. Yeah, I mean, look, if uh, I, I certainly think that it has been top heavy. Um, I think that what, when you focus on four to five to six programs, that encompasses the vast amount of the, the four playoff spots over the last nine years that we've been doing this. And so uh, I certainly think it is now. The hope with the playoff is that over time things would change. It would open up a little bit more. You'd have a couple more programs that would become more consistently appealing and successful because they might be perennial playoff teams being you know between six and ten in the country and and that sort of thing but certainly here i mean the the sentiment is is fair that for at least the first few years while nick saban is still at alabama while kirby smart at georgia and the way ohio state's been playing and that sort of thing that it just feels like for at least a little while it will just be another opportunity to win another game uh, for those te- teams, I think the changes, if they were to come, would happen over time. It would not be in the first year or two of it, but rather after programs get to recruit to a different idea and a different number and that sort of thing. But but again, I do agree that it's been top heavy, and uh, at least from the national title pursued, and, and and certainly for the first few years, it might still feel that way. And you know um, that has been it has been top heavy. That's exactly the why I've always been encouraged. Uh, I've been supportive. Well, let's, you know, be more inclusive. Allow more teams uh, to have a chance at it. I mean, you know, in 2000, was it, uh, 2017, uh, when we were a three-touchdown underdog at home and should have and probably could have beaten Alabama and didn't do it well, you know, we've had a number of times that we were supposed to beat Alabama. We did it. So what's to say that just because it's been top-heavy that those things can't happen uh, when there's a 12-team, you know, playoff, uh, that the big guys can't be upset. Sure. I mean, I think that, that some will uh, go through upsets now. I think the way that Georgia and Alabama have played, particularly Georgia the last two years, but then Alabama for a lot of, a lot of, and more of the last decade, uh, you know, I, I feel like those teams were so far and above some of these other teams out there. I, I just I don't know with a lot on the line how they would have – uh, been beaten in a lot of those scenarios. I, I, I maybe focus on a Clemson or an Oklahoma or an Ohio State as maybe having more trouble getting to the places they've gone. But, uh, you know, football, I mean, I think that at the highest level, the best team wins a bigger percentage of the time than in some of the other sports because of the physicality of the game and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, again, over time, as things adapt and, and there's now there's now room for 12 teams, not four, more teams have better arguments for access to the playoff and that sort of thing, I think things could even up um, for a lot of these programs. But, again, I think the first few years will still be the residuals of what has been a, a, a decade of dominance for not only the SEC but in particular Alabama and then recency from Georgia. 
Well, I may be wrong here, uh, maybe just my own viewpoint, but I just think that having 12 teams is going to increase viewership uh, by, by fans because, you know, and I've seen the polls, people are damn tired of seeing Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. Well, and now I, they get to see a variety of different teams. And I, and I do think viewership will, will rise, and I think the viewership for the – early round playoff games will be higher than that of a New Year's Six game just in the past of just a, a standard Sugar Bowl or a standard Rose Bowl or Cotton Bowl that, that does not have a, a playoff tag to it. I think these games will be more watched as a whole. Uh, again, I, I and I certainly know that there are going to be a lot of fans that are, are tired of, of the same two or three or four teams. And so the, the hope will be there that, that they will lose. But also remember – it works to the the counter effect in some form or fashion too because they could have like for example last year Alabama was not in the playoff well in the 12 team playoff they would be in the playoff and, and then maybe they go further than they would have because they got in so I, it could work against in a certain year or two as well I, I, but again I think that short term it, I, I think the final what ends up being the final four ends up being the title game will look very similar at least at first uh, to what it has been. Well, I look forward to seeing, you know, uh, a wider variety of teams and uh, so see how it turns out. All right, moving on, guys. Uh, I know you saw the SEC media people picking us to be six in the in the West. Uh, I guess no surprise there. You weren't surprised, were you? No, that's uh, – I think Cam had Auburn fourth. We were talking about this uh, in the first hour. Cam had Auburn fourth, Brant had him fifth, and Brooks and I had Auburn sixth where they were – where they were voted. So, again, it kind of ended up being right in that range where we expected it to be. My question to you guys is, who the world knows anything about Auburn? I sure don't. And what to expect from them? And so, I don't even know how they can be picked, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Right. I mean, look, I mean, you still got to make your, your best guess about it. And, again, that's why we get it wrong a decent amount of time because we – we, we try to, again, predict how this quarterback battle is going to go and that quarterback battle and how this team's going to develop their offensive line and this team's going to uh, develop their defense. I think the reality is, as we talked about with a lot of our different interviews, if you listen to a lot of those throughout the week, you know, I think everyone realizes that there is not much of a gap three through seven, that there is a lot of different landing spots for this team, for these teams. And you know, look, some of it's going to be dictated by how the schedule is. Like if you're having an Auburn versus Texas A&M debate, maybe that is settled on head-to-head and the fact that it's at College Station hurts Auburn. Or maybe if you're having an Auburn-Ole Miss debate, uh, maybe you like that it's going to be at Auburn this year. So, I mean, I, I think that a lot of it comes down to who you play and when you play them and, and all those great things that go into the season and why us, we don't dictate the champion. We we just simply give a, a, a try to have an educated guess and then we let them play it out on the field. Yeah, I just think Auburn is a dark horse because we don't know you know, who the starting quarterback is going to be. Uh, we don't know uh, the chemistry, uh, although I break comments in my field, you know, uh, more cohesive, but we don't know that much. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns about Auburn compared to the teams in the SEC. That's that's what I'm getting at. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm keeping tabs on everybody, uh, on everybody's picks to see how well you do. Uh, but that said, guys, uh, the uh, soccer women's soccer team plays uh, this evening. Is that right? That is correct. Vietnam tonight. Okay. Uh, hopefully, that shouldn't be a struggle, right? Yeah, not not to my knowledge. Again, I, I'm not. I know that of a couple of powers in women's soccer. I do not believe Vietnam is one of them. 
Uh, so this should be a, I won't say a warm-up game because every World Cup game is very important, but this is certainly a good starter uh, game for the U.S. to get in the, the flow of things in the tournament. Okay. Well, I know you guys need some rest. You've earned it. You did an excellent job. Uh, sad to hear that you're not going to be carrying the uh, football game. You're not the, uh, the flagship station. I don't know what you did not to have gotten that, though. But anyway, that said, uh, you're my flagship station for Auburn uh, Sports. So with that, Four Eagle guys, have a safe afternoon and weekend. Get some rest, relaxation. We'll talk to you on Monday. Sounds good. Sounds good, Steve. War Eagle to you. Have a great weekend, sir. That is retired Ward M. Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to take what's going to be our final live timeout of the show today. When we come back, I want to watch for over the weekend and a nightly TV guide. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Brent Daughtry with you here on this Friday. Again, a reminder, this will be uh, the last live segment of the day coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, a best of our week at SEC Media Days 2023. Interviews with Commissioner Greg Sankey, also with uh, the Auburn football players that were able to uh, attend in Nashville, Cam Stutz, Luke Deal, Elijah McAllister, and uh, to lead off the hour, Chuck Oliver, who, of course, his show can be heard on our sister station, 1230 WAUD. Let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line for the final time today at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Jeff from Columbus. Jeff is with us. Jeff, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing great, guys. I know you all have limited time. I didn't realize you all were getting off the air early. But um, uh, welcome back. Uh, I know you're probably glad to be home. Uh, but, um, hey, where did Auburn finish in the SEC West last year? I believe last. I, or no, six. Sixth, I think they yeah, beat A&M, beat and that, yeah. that gave them a tiebreaker, I believe. Okay, so... Yeah, so six is about right, then, right? I mean, because you don't know what you're going to get. Right. Um, I mean, but, I, um, yeah, I, that's yeah. how how a lot of us voted it. Again, that's how the league ended up, and uh, Brooks is confirming six. They were two and six in the league. Likewise, was Texas A and M, and get that tiebreaker. Yeah. Okay. So, and hey, how did you all? How many people do you think watched very much of the Georgia two lane game? Or last year, not too late. Excuse me, who did we even play? Uh, I UAB. Who we beat? 
Uh, no, Georgia. In the, the national championship? Oh, TCU. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, TCU. No. I, it's not good. It's not good when the national champion cannot even be uh, remember. That's mean, how forgettable the game was. Yeah. I turned it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I turned it off, right? Okay. Georgia, Ohio State was a much better game. Ohio State should have won it, could have won it. You know what I mean? So, I, look at the top 12 preseason right now. Who could, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure there's a team. From Utah, maybe, or or somewhere, uh, you know, it's not going to be NC State or something like that. But I'm just saying, if you to having more games, I don't know. I'm just like I say, I'm a Georgia fan. I know Georgia. What three years ago, we weren't worthy of a being in the playoffs. Okay. So there's not, you know, we weren't the national champions. If you want to see good football, that's why you schedule out of conference games, you know, with Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Clemson, or something like that. But, you know, those are games people want to watch. But if you're going to a number one against, is that how you're going to do it? Number one against 12? Hey, uh, hey, Jeff, we're uh, you're, you're cutting out on uh, on your end. We, we're not able to quite make out what you're saying here. I don't know if the I'm signal's sorry. going bad or. Yeah, we we. I'm sorry, guys. It's all good. I I heard that. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Loud and clear. Okay. So how, surely is is it going to be one and twelve, and you know just down the line like that. I mean, just how how good are those games going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Part of it is, and I know that you know, it's not always great for to have to to talk about how dominant the the arch rivals of Auburn are, but that's been the reality. I think that Alabama and then recently Georgia the last couple of years, they've kind of muddied our perception of how all these games actually function because they've been far and away better in a lot of instances. I mean, it's not been particularly close even when we were still doing two teams i mean alabama throttled notre dame in 2012 even lsu the second time around did not put up near the fight they did when they were in tuscaloosa uh, tuscaloosa in 2011 uh, and there's some other examples too i think that their run of having with, with saban one of the great if not the greatest of all time and then with kirby smart what he's building at georgia right now we we think that they're all going to be like that when in reality the other teams are much closer together to each other than they are to the way Alabama has been a lot of years and the way Georgia has been the last two years. Right. And I guess what gets me is like Steve says he's tired of being Alabama and Georgia. Okay. So what you're going to see Clinton, Ohio state, you know, or, you know, it's just because it is Georgia and Alabama. I believe that that's why Steve is saying that, but, um, uh, I just, I just don't think that there are twelve teams that are capable of saying we are the best team in the country on any given year. Sure, I it, it okay. And I, I certainly understand that argument, and that's also why we asked Bill or I asked Bill Hancock 
uh, the college football playoff director, is there any chance? And to be fair, this is not a, a perfect question because I think once money is given, money will not be taken back. Uh, but I, you know, I asked, is there any way that if this goes poorly for whatever reason, they they stop doing? Or they, they go back down a few teams. And, again, I realize that once you open the box, you yeah. usually don't go back. But yeah. that's a, at least why I asked the question because, look, yeah, I know that, that certainly once you go down the line, we talk about upsets in other sports. There are upsets in football plenty, but but still it feels like when we get to the end of the season, we don't often think that the best team in the in the – in the in the league or the best team in, in college football didn't win it that, that is not usually the case usually the best team does show itself and shows itself pretty emphatically in a lot of ways so uh you know this playoff look I, i'm still for it because I, I love the entertainment value of it we're gonna play these postseason games anyway i'd like them to mean as much as possible but uh the reality is that at least while nick saban's still at alabama while kirby smart's churning out the way he is look that's just going to be an extra win in, in a lot of the a lot of years for these teams I understand, and like I say, I know y'all are uh, uh, short today, so I will. Uh, uh, this is something that's not going to be resolved anytime soon, anyway. So, I'm, I, like I say, I like to see good football games. So, uh, well, hopefully, that'll bring it on. All right, y'all have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to y'all next week. Appreciate the phone call, Jeff. That is uh, Jeff from Columbus joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Always good to hear from Jeff. Right there. I looked it up really quick just to answer Jeff's question. Uh, it was seventeen point two two three million that watched the Georgia TCU game. It was the third rated game or high, third highest rated game from the whole playoff in New Year's Six games. Georgia Ohio State was number one at twenty two million, and then TCU Michigan was at twenty one million. So, so it was are, less rated than the the two semifinals. And yeah, a lot of that due to the way the game progressed. Uh, as uh, I know that. I think second quarter I was watching in a local establishment and then I ended up at someone's house for the third quarter because, well, we needed to do some other things and it was uh, did not need to be devout attention at that point in time. It was on in the background. It became from the forefront to the background uh, between the second and third quarter. And you want to know something? What's that? I just did some quick research. It was the lowest rated national championship game of the playoff era. Again, it makes – it look and, and look, some of that is TCU small following. Some of that is uh, – I don't know if it's quite Georgia fatigue yet, but maybe the beginnings of it. But also, again, part of your ratings, it's it's measured throughout. There's also a peak rating and that sort of thing. There's no peak when yeah. it's done in the early second quarter, you know, when the, when the result of the game is like that. Because some people still, I mean, even before social media, but certainly during when they can check scores more readily, they'll check in at times. They yeah. won't sit down. The casual people will not watch for three and a half straight hours. They have lives. And so – uh, you know, if if it's not entertaining, then you unless you're a diehard, you don't have the vested interest in it. So uh, anyway, we're down to our last minute or so on the show. Time for a quick nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer Brooks. Real quickly, what do we have? Ah, your new, uh, your uh, movie picks for the evening. Your family movie pick tonight, six o'clock on Nickelodeon. Gather the family around and watch some Despicable Me, starring Steve Carell as the voice of Gru. And then, also six o'clock on VH1 in honor of the Open. It's Happy Gilmore, starring Adam Sandler, one of the best comedy actors of our time. Uh, sports for you tonight across the sports sphere. Six o'clock on ESPN two. The TBT rolls on with round two. 
getting underway tonight. Follow that up at 8 o'clock with another game. Uh, Liga's Cup gets underway around uh, the MLS and different leagues around the uh, the Central Americas. Cruz Azul takes on Inter-Miami tonight. You also got FIFA World Cup action uh, on the women's side. U.S. Men, women's national team takes on Vietnam. And, of course, your Atlanta Braves are back in action tonight in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, taking on the Milwaukee Brewers. First game against the Brewers this year. And that is at 7-10 on Bally Sports Southeast. And that is the Nightly TV Guy brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Thank you for all of your hard work producing all these great interviews for us throughout the week. Have a great weekend, sir. We'll see you next week. You got it. And thank you, Brent Dontry, for everything you did at SEC Media Days and being on the show and everything that you do. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for having me. That will do it for the show today and for the week. Again, reminder, a best of this week in a sports call. SEC Media Days 2023 will have some of our best interviews coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. This will do it for our live coverage. We appreciate all those that tuned in throughout the show today and the week and of course all the great interviewees that we had for taking the time out of their days to interview with us this week. For Brant Dontry, Cam Berry, and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LeBoy. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday.